Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner Future Technology Podcasts with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used or just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hi, this is Richard Jacobs with Future Tech Podcast. Almost here, round the corner technology. We've got a very special guest today, uh, Brad Templeton, man of many talents. Uh, we're going to be talking about autonomous vehicles, and um, Brad is a chair with uh, Singularity University and uh, many other things. He's a member of the Electronic Frontier Foundation, uh, I think a founding member. But welcome, Brad. How are you doing? Uh, well, lots of people are members of the Electronic Frontier Foundation. I'm uh, chairman emeritus of it. Used to be chairman. Of Excellent. It. Um, but uh, yeah, great to be here. Yeah, thank you. Um, we'll, we'll focus on the autonomous driving part of what you do, because again, I, I know that you've been involved in many great things. Can you give listeners just a quick background of of how you've been involved in autonomous vehicles, and and we can go over that? Yeah, sure. Well. Uh, Back uh, well, over 10 years ago, uh, as the field was, uh, well, at least heating up to techies because of a series of contests run by the military called the DARPA Grand Challenges, I knew many of the people competing with it, and I realized this was going to be one of the next big things. So I started working and writing on it, uh, and uh, that was just uh, as a, a sideline while I was doing other things, but uh, very quickly it started to heat up. I went to work on uh, Google's team building a car for a couple of years. And I've also been uh, consulting with many of the bigger and smaller players in the field. Yeah, and it seems um, with the latest, you know, the latest buzz with Tesla now having um, software in all their cars, and you know, starting next year in 2017 to be, um, I guess they call it fully autonomous, where the car can take you where you want to go with no involvement on your end, on the driver's end. It seems like it's just well, hitting now. I'm not sure they're actually promising that, and if they are promising that, they're probably mistaken or fibbing a bit. Um, they're not quite ready for that. Yeah, so to clear up some misconceptions, so what is available now? What level of autonomous driving is available in Tesla and you know, perhaps some other cars that are coming out? Well, so the car companies and Tesla is, uh, well, they're they're an unusual car company. They're they're certainly not like the traditional uh, Fords and GMs of the world. But the car companies um, have for some time been working on enhancements of what they used to call advanced driver assistance systems or ADAS. And so they're making what Tesla likes to call an autopilot, and they're not the only ones to use that term, which is something that can keep the car in its lane, driving down the road, um, control the speed, and do that while you are paying attention to it, while you're supervising it. And then a few things are out there which can do driving without you supervising in certain very limited areas like parking the car and so on. Um, then there are people who are working, and the car companies again are in the space here, who are working on trying to make a car that uh, might let you push a button and take your hands off the wheel, and it would drive you in certain circumstances, and then you'd be expected to take the wheel if something was coming up that the car couldn't handle. Now, by something was coming up, I mean that they know in advance it's coming up. It's not a surprise. It's a road and can't handle that sort of thing. But the real brass ring, the real thing that changes the world, 
is a car that's able to maneuver on ordinary streets and uh, many types of them and do it without a human being involved at all. Um, and that means running unmanned, as uh, you might say. We wish there were a non-sexist term for that. And um, such a car is a car that can come pick you up, uh, drive you somewhere, drop you off, and go pick up someone else. That's the mm -hmm. kind of thing you see in works on Google, at Uber, uh, probably at Apple. They haven't said much about what they're doing. Um, and uh, uh, the, the other more serious projects, they're working on that. And all these things are actually quite surprisingly different from each other. Uh, I don't believe, actually, there's a, a path from one to the other, and that's why some people are working directly on the big problem and not trying to do any intermediary steps because they don't think there are intermediary steps. What do you? What is the big problem? What's the biggest stumbling block to a car that can drive on its own without a person doing anything? Well, driving is full of all sorts of weird little complexities, especially on city streets. Highways are not that complex. A uh, number of people have got cars that can do a pretty decent job on the highway, although even then they don't have the capability to be uh, as safe as they need to be, and nobody even knows what as safe as they need to be is, but most people think it means being better than human beings are. Um, pretty obviously you'd want to beat that number. Anyway, uh, doing it on city streets with all the things that can happen there is pretty complex. And the other hard thing, probably the hardest thing in many ways, is proving that you've done it. So first you have to do it. That's no small feat. And then you have to prove to yourself that you've done it. And then maybe prove to your lawyers or board of directors uh, and the public that you've actually pulled it off. Is it because you're trying to prove... Um... I don't know what they would call it in logic, but um, proving the negative, you know, no matter how much um, an autonomous car drives, uh, you can't know that, um, you know, a human being would be better or worse until you have tons and tons and tons of data. Yeah, it would be proving the negative if you wanted to claim perfection, if you wanted to claim it would never have an accident. But that's much too difficult a goal. It's not the kind of goal we want to aim for. So no, the goal of being safer than human beings is one that you could measure, but it would take a lot of time and effort. It's not possible, for example, to put the cars out there and have them drive for, say, the two million hours it takes for a human being to have a fatal accident. Uh, fortunately, people don't have fatal accidents all that often or we'd all be dead. Right? Mm. So it does take more than several lifetimes of driving before you do have a fatal accident. And that's not something you can just snap your fingers and have happen. Um, you can start looking at testing whether or not you've got a better record than humans for small problems and deviations and accidents. And uh, there are people doing that. There are people trying to use simulators to test their car through a lot of virtual miles to get some sense of how well it's doing. But that's one of the reasons it's challenging. It's just a lot of testing. It's a level of reliability that's um, it's a level of, uh, of reliability that's unlike anything that's ever been seen in most uh, computer projects. So, any, are there specifics in uh, street driving that are really difficult to account for versus uh, highway driving? You know, can you talk about a few specific scenarios, or is it just because there are so many different possibilities that can happen that it's very hard to get a car that can respond to them all? Well, so highway driving is actually very, very simple. 
right? All the cars are going the same direction. There's uh, the other cars in the other direction are divided off. Um, everybody is, there's no pedestrians, there's no bicycles, um, there's nobody crossing the road, there's no traffic lights, there's ramps to get on and off, uh, there's no, none of that stuff. So the regular road is full of all those things. It's slower, so accidents wouldn't be as dangerous if they happen, but actually going 40 miles an hour is plenty fast enough for there to be problems, as you will find on urban streets. So yeah, everything is just way more complex and you've got these vulnerable users, the bicycles and the pedestrians and other such folks to worry about. You even have people who are off on the side of the street who could come into the street and that again is not happening on the highway. So of the cars that are available now and the technology available now, how how much further is it going to take or how much time do you guess it may take until we get a viable solution, a car that can truly navigate uh, enough situations to uh, to be allowed to drive autonomously everywhere? Ah, well, everywhere is a very, very long time away, but everywhere is not the goal. Um, you need to drive a, a workable, usable set of streets. And that's something we'll see quite quickly. I mean, we already have Uber in Pittsburgh and then starting yesterday in San Francisco, driving their cars on the city streets with a human being ready to take over if necessary, but ideally never taking over. So you don't need to go everywhere. You just go where you can be useful and you've got a workable product. Okay, that's all right. So for Uber, that's that's just about here. What about for um, for regular folks that are going to go to the dealer and be able to buy a car that can take them around on the on the streets and the highway? When do you think that'll be, um, you know, prevalent or available? Well, the car companies do want to make a car like that. The non-car companies tend to not want to build that. They want to build a service. So mobility, transportation as a service, mobility on demand, we sometimes call it. So they won't sell you the car ever. Uh, you'll probably never be able to buy the Google car, never maybe to buy the Apple car, certainly won't be able to buy the Uber car. Right? And uh, by the way, companies like Uber have a second advantage, which is that if they don't go everywhere, they have a solution to take you in those other places. They have their existing Uber service. And so they only need their self-driving cars to take you along the popular routes that they focus on making them work. Now, the companies like um, Daimler, Mercedes, and so on, they do want to continue selling you cars. So they're working on building cars like that. Um, they have all said dates in the early 2020s, but I think some of these mobility services will be showing up in pilot projects this decade in a select number of cities around the world. Hmm. Okay. What, what do you guess is going to happen as... Um autonomous cars become more prevalent on the roads, what shifts do you think that will happen in in driving behavior, people that are driving regular cars versus these autonomous vehicles? What do you guess will be the dynamic, the interaction? Oh, I don't know if the people who are driving the regular cars will change too much. There is a risk that some of them might decide to abuse the, uh, well, we'll say the timidity, the uh, um, uh, the lack of willingness to take risk that a programmed car will take. They might want to abuse that in places like Boston and so on. Um, it's true the self-driving cars will be more conformant to the law than the average human is, although there's a lot of debate about this. Probably not fully conformant to the law because 
in most places in the world, it's really not possible to drive without actually um, breaking the law in ways that have just become known as acceptable to all human drivers. That will be sort of interesting. Um, however, the consequences of having services like this are very grand, not immediately in how people drive on the road, but in how we broadly get around. You know, the city was really changed and re-architected in the 20th century because the car came along. It also happened in the 19th century when the trolley came along. This is as big or if not bigger a change than that. So we're going to see changes in where people live, um, how they, not just how they get around, where they work, um, what places they go to, where they shop, uh, where, what houses are valuable. These things will, these things will change. We're also going to get the chance to drastically reduce the amount of energy that we use in transportation. We'll probably see a shift towards electric cars even faster than would happen on its own. We may see a, the arrival of a lot more um, special purpose cars aimed at the trip because the magic trick is this. When you think about selling rides instead of selling cars, so yeah, Ford and General Motors and Daimler, they sell cars, but Uber sells rides. When you think about selling rides, it's a very different way of thinking about buying your car. I mean, you don't only, you're, you're having the car for 15 minutes. You're not having it for five years. You have very different desires about what that'll be, very different abilities to save money. Most trips that we take, about 80% of all the trips we take are alone and they are across town. But today they are mostly taken in SUVs with five seats that are able to go off road, but never do. This is a huge change. It changes everything about what we want in cars, what they cost. When you reduce the cost of cars, billions more people have access to them as well as you do when you reduce the cost of everything. So we're talking about a $5 trillion business, the uh, automotive business around the world. And all that's up for grabs as the computer takes it over. Hmm. Interesting. What do you think the uh, the consequence will be if uh, an autonomous autonomous vehicle, you know, commits a traffic infraction or, you know, ends up in an accident where someone dies or is seriously injured? Who will be blamed? Well, we, what do you think will happen? Uh, well, of course, in America, it's easy. Everyone will get sued. Um, but the truth is that it's not nearly as uh, scary as a lot of people thought, uh, as most people may know, but a press around. Uh, a terrible accident that occurred in a Tesla back in June, and that car wasn't even a full self-driving car, but its operator was probably trying to use it that way, even though Tesla warns you a dozen times that it doesn't do that. And so he was killed, gruesome. Uh, and Tesla stock went up for two months after that accident. There have got some investigations going around it, but in spite of all that, Tesla stock went up. So, um, you know, if it starts happening really frequently, if it's showing that it's recklessly endangering more people and there's more accidents than people are causing, then there'll be some, some issues. But so far, the Tesla accident suggests there's much more willingness of people to tolerate the fact that driving is a dangerous thing, that the current car is the second most dangerous consumer product is legal to sell. Of course, to be the first, you'd have to light it on fire and breathe it in your lungs. Um, and uh, people are working to make that dangerous product safer. Um, that doesn't mean there won't be political debate. It doesn't mean there won't be lawsuits and consternation, and there won't be a lot to debate about those. 
but um, it's not going to be as bad as people think. The, the simple question, it's amazing how often this question that you asked is asked, who's liable in a crash? Uh, to most people working in the field and to myself, that's been obvious from the beginning. Obviously, the, the people who made the car, the driving system for it, will be responsible. And Google and Volvo and Mercedes, among other car companies, have all declared that to be the case. They said, listen, if one of our cars causes a crash, of course, we're responsible. Well, it's never been expected to be any other way. It can't be any other way. Uh, and uh, the truth is, it's good that at least these companies are willing to say it. Traditionally, your lawyers tell you right. never accept responsibility for something. That's the only reason people have to ask that question. What about um, the programming of a car's algorithm? You know, like, I think it's been referred to as the trolley problem. You know, if mm. there's um, an accident that's going to happen and Let's say it's a choice. Oh, trust me. Uh, you, you, sorry, you want to spell it out for the audience. You, you certainly don't have to spell sure. it for me. Uh, I and every other person who speaks on this topic has gotten tremendously annoyed that you can't give a talk without com that coming out as one of the first questions. <laughs> and people are absolutely fascinated, of course, with the idea of machines or software or programmers deciding who lives or dies. It you know reminds us of the killer robots in the movies, right? Um, right. So the reality is this doesn't happen. Okay, you, how many times have you had to choose who to run over? It's just it's just a very 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 rare thing, and because of that, it's it's really a surprisingly much more interesting than it is important um, to solve that problem. Well, people, people really can't choose because of the speed and you know like just human timing and reaction time, but a, a machine may be able to if it's fast enough. It may have to well, it sure, may need a calculus, sure. you know. You know, no, if, but um, I'll, I'll tell you they don't because, as I said, I didn't ask you how often have you sat there and chosen carefully who to run over. I've asked how often have you or have you heard of anyone having to make the choice at all, whether they were able to make it or not. And the answer mm -hmm. is no. It's, it's just not. It's, it's. I wouldn't say it never happens, but it's a super rare thing. And because of that, it's not high on anyone's priority list. I think this is one of those problems that you want to say that should be solved, but it's definitely for version two, not for version one. Let me put it to you another way. Let's say you start imagining that you really need the car to solve this almost never happened thing. Well, it's hard, so you're going to delay putting the life-saving cars out on the road. And you don't want to do that. You don't want to delay saving real lives so you can make the yep. right decision in a mythical situation, a hypothetical classroom situation. That would be the real tragedy. And uh, I don't think people are cluing in on that enough. So I think we should save that for version two. And when it comes time for version two, when we've got some experience, actually, this is something that governments could figure out. They could give rulings to companies because programmers don't want to make decisions like that. Companies right, don't yeah. want to make decisions like that. Um, the last thing they want to do is do that. So if it turns out there's a real problem to solve, then this is a great thing. Go to the DMV or the state government or whatever and say, listen, I have this situation. What should I do? And they'll get a ruling back, and they'll do it. And you know they won't be responsible because they followed the ruling. Uh, but the truth is, they actually need that for other things. They need that for questions like, there's a car stalled in front of me. I have to cross the double yellow line to get around him. What do I do? Well, the law says you can't. Right? Mm -hmm. But everybody knows human drivers, you know, go around the guy. Right? They cross that double right. yellow line, and no police officer is going to ticket you for it. Everyone knows that. The problem, of course, is that. Um, programmers working on these things, they don't want to program the car to violate the law. So uh, it would be good for them if they had a way to resolve those kinds of questions. And this trolley problem 
is really just one of those questions that uh, maybe it is better if the law solves it. Yeah, I would think that there may be um, a way to algorithmically minimize the damage or impact of an accident if one's going to happen. So maybe there's a play there that the algorithm can oh, do that somehow. You know, All the cars will indeed work to minimize uh, damage in an accident. But uh, these trolley problems you seem to propose, they, they start um, having questions about whether or not... Uh, you know, we should run over a kid versus an adult, or we should run over three people rather than two. So the cars all will do their best to never get in an accident. They'll all do their best to minimize the velocity. So they'll mostly mm -hmm. just hit the brake. Um, they will not go running onto the sidewalk because the law does not allow that. And also they're not generally going to be tested at driving on the sidewalk. You wouldn't expect them to right. be tested at driving on the sidewalk. So they're going to do the best they can in a broad sense, but it's this moral decision question that gets people so fascinated. The idea of it making a moral judgment, a safety judgment of what's going to make this accident as as um, as le least damaging as you can make it. Of course, they want to do that. That makes sense. Okay. Do you think there'll be a point, you know, where uh, autonomous cars? hopefully are proven to reduce accidents by a substantial amount and that legislation will come that will make it illegal to drive except in emergency circumstances because the autonomous car is preferred it's safer no i actually don't see that happening um certainly not for a very long time uh we still ride horses after all <laughs> it's been 100 years since they were the main mode of transport so mm -hmm. Uh, right now, uh, my guess is about a quarter to a third of people never have an accident in their lives. I never have. Um, and so how do you politically justify taking away their keys if they have not shown themselves to be unsafe? So, no, I, I, I have a feeling that people will just switch because it's cheaper, it's convenient, um, you get your time back. You know, Americans, my calculation is Americans are spending about 50 billion hours every year driving cars, which is, if you put it another way, the entire labor output of the United States is 240 billion hours. So here's 50 billion hours going to driving cars. So the chance to spend that time doing other things is going to be one of the biggest boons of time ever granted to people. So I think people will Definitely. switch over to it on their own. And a few will still run out and you know get a sports car and go up in the mountains and drive and go ahead. Why not? Well, I mean, the reason I ask is, you know, seatbelts now, they're required in, I don't know about all states, but most places. And, you know, the seatbelt assumes that, uh, you know, it's better for society if you don't get hurt, even though you haven't gotten hurt at the point in which you put it on. So I would think the thinking may be extended to a law that, you know, doesn't allow people to drive. That's why I ask it. Well, again, I'm just trying to make you debate with uh, with yourself here you know, actually proposing a law to ban driving. They had enough problems trying to get a law passed just making you wear the seatbelt or a motorcycle helmet. Mm. Um, do you want to take people's keys away? Uh, I, I'm pretty sure there'd be a long political fight about that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think, I think, I think, and, and, you know, if, if you want to say we're going to take the keys away from people who've had two accidents or they drove drunk, you could win that one. But right. you can say, I'm going to take the keys away from this guy who's been driving all his life, has never had an accident, never got a ticket. Um, I don't see the voters going for that. Yeah. 
Yeah, I don't want to. I just wondered if it would happen. Um, what about hacking? You know, I don't know how this how often this may happen, but you know, you're driving down the road, the car door is locked. All of a sudden, a voice comes over the you know the speaker that says, you know, if you don't pay a ransom of X, we're going to crash the car and kill everyone in it. You think autonomous vehicles and the software will allow that to happen? Because it can well, be hacked, possibly. Yeah. You know, it's it's something everyone worries about. Maybe not that situation as much as a few others, but um, yeah, everybody uh, working on this is is very concerned about that. Now, on the plus side, uh, I'll tell you that the previous generation of cars they were designed without any security at all in them, and so the fact that people can break into those is not shocking to anybody in the car industry or the computer industry. Um, the press found out about it a few years ago, but everybody knew that was the case. Now, these cars are not being designed that way. They will be designed with this more in mind, but that doesn't mean perfection will be achieved. Now, in order to get as good a job as they can, one thing that uh, will probably happen is the cars will communicate with as few parties as possible. Um, this is why, actually, the dream you often hear people talk about, a lot of people have been trying to think about things you could do if cars all talk to other cars by uh, radio and data, or if they talk to traffic lights. And there's a few cool things you can do when you do that, but they're, they're really pretty minor. But the idea of cars talking to random other cars from a computer security standpoint is a big problem. So I think the cars will talk only when they have to back to their headquarters. They'll be a little bit paranoid about talking to headquarters if they're smart. Um, and that's one of the ways that they'll try and reduce the chances of someone breaking into them. But they'll also use every trick they have in the book at securing computers to stop that from happening. Yeah, you would hope, Bill. Yeah. Um, now, you know, to, other... be, to, be, uh, to be clear, these cars are not going to be running Microsoft Windows or Apple iOS yeah. or any of the things inside them, um, and they will be much more isolated from the outside world than a typical computer in your phone or desktop or laptop that you're used to using. So right away, they're going to have some advantages, but perfection is very difficult. Excuse me, is very difficult here. Makes sense, too. Um, you know, other things I thought of is that, uh, you know, the police may be able to pull someone over just by pushing a button or summon them, you know, if they had a warrant out uh, to the police station, if the vehicle <clears throat> has that capability to drive itself. I don't know if that's a possibility you've yeah. entertained or if that's, you know, fantasy. Well, it was certainly a fantasy uh, in that it was in the movie Minority Report with Tom Cruise. I don't know if you if you saw that yeah. film, but... There's a scene in that film where Tom Cruise is uh, riding in the car and the police want to arrest him. And he's having a phone call uh, with the police commissioner and he suddenly his car says, you have a new destination. We're taking you to the jail. And he has to break out of the car. And it's a big dramatic scene. But for those who haven't seen the movie, I haven't really spoiled it for you. But um, <laughs> yeah, but you know, the truth is you don't want your car to betray you like that. Nobody wants their technology to be programmed and designed to betray its user. So I think we'll fight giving that ability to the police. If the police want to pull you over, they're going to have to do it, I hope, the old-fashioned way. Hmm. Fair enough. Okay. Um, because you've been involved with autonomous, autonomous vehicles pretty intimately, and we talked about this already, but anything else in the fantasy versus reality, what do you think people will see now and in the next 10 years versus beyond that? What do you think is going to remain fantasy for the foreseeable future? And anything that, uh, yeah. that you know that you can disclose that normal people don't know about autonomous vehicles? 
Well, there, there's a lot. So one thing I mentioned is that uh, these cars will, pro at least most of the main projects, they drive using maps. And that means they only drive where they've been approved and prepared and tested to drive. So you may find there'll be a day in 10 years from now when there's some cities which everyone is using one a lot of the time. And there are other cities where nobody has one at all. And so hmm. when people ask me what date it's going to be, uh, I have to tell them that that's going to be the situation. There are, um, people are going to solve the easy problems first. That's why you see them testing them in places like California with easy streets and no snow. And other places will take more time. But, you know, Volvo in, in Sweden and Ford in Detroit, they're working on the snow problem. It's not that no one works on it. But people will definitely go after the early stuff first. Um, one thing that, uh, that I think will be uh, a big threat to the existing car companies is the fact that when you use, when you buy rides instead of cars, let's say you call up, uh, you know what Uber Select is? It's a version of Uber where you can get a nicer car. They have that in a few cities. Um, okay. but when you, when you use it, you don't care at all if it's a Mercedes or a Lexus or a Lincoln that shows up, do you? You, uh, you just care that you're going to get a nice car for your ride. And so all these car brands that everyone cares a lot about, um, those are suddenly just uh, not that important. And that's very frightening to the car companies. Mm, makes sense. Uh, the, um, uh, what's another, uh, another big one that's, that's going on today? Um, you know, the, um, well, I mentioned the, the car-to-car -car communication. I mentioned the, uh, uh, these trolley problems. Um, another question is that actually no one knows the answer to is what will this do for our cities? Will we sprawl out and have people commuting, you know, three hours a day because they can sleep or how your children get where they're going to go and how you get where you're going to go? Um, cars that can move unmanned are cars that actually don't use parking lots. Uh, very much, at least. If they're taxis, they drop you off and they pick up someone else. Um, if they're your car, they'll wait around, but they don't have to wait around where they dropped you off. They can wait around a little ways away. And so that means right. we're not going to need most of the parking lots we have. We get to actually um, turn those parking lots into other things. My, my dream is turn them into parks, of course, but um, they may get turned into condo towers more often than that. Um, right. So we get... Um, we get a bonanza of land, especially in um, the, uh, the, the non-core of the cities. It's amazing how much of the land in cities is devoted to things for cars and parking, and we get that back. We get the ability to put more cars down the same roads we have, solving a lot of our infrastructure problems. Um, we also get, this is something I work on right now, we also get delivery robots. So delivery robots that can bring you anything for under a dollar, do it in 30 minutes, not just a pizza, right? Today, the pizza is the most important thing in our society because you can always get it in 30 minutes. Right. Um, and we're going to have a world where you can order anything and get it in 30 minutes, which is going to change how the retail stores work. Um, it's going to change how, whether you own stuff or not. So the company I'm working with, we're building robots actually go on the sidewalk and they're small and light and they can't hurt you. And um, they're going to change how that gets, how, how stuff gets around as much as how people get around. Uh, whole other industries are going to be turned upside down. So the insurance industry obviously is in for big changes. There's 4 million visits to the emergency room that won't happen if we cut back the car accidents. 
Um, the banks won't be giving you a loan on your car if you're replacing your car with a mobility service. The radio DJ who does drive time has no driving to be playing music in front of. Uh, tons of other industries are upended, not just the car industry. That's true, yeah. And you think that it'll it'll be economic so economical, so it'll be preferable not to even own a car, as you said, and just use one on demand. Right. Well, um, not everybody will do that, and and it will only be really people in cities. The people who live out in the country will still probably need to own a car. Um, what will happen in the cities first is you'll see people who have two or three cars, families and such, they'll be switching to having only one car and then using the service for their extra needs. And then you'll see, especially I think people in the 15 to 35 age range, you'll see them saying, you know what, I don't need to own a car at all. And uh, and so that'll start changing the model of how people use it. But not all at once. Um, it'll happen. Uh, it'll happen slowly. And People will switch which style they use. I I don't know how this would work. I don't even understand the concept, but I've seen people talk about uh, cars that are autonomous and owned by no one. You know, where the car gets its own gas or fuel or electricity. It you know it charges itself up. It takes its own rides. It, it I don't even know what to call it, but it just sounds like it's it's not owned by any one individual. It's like an autonomous uh, thing on its own. It's a company that it owns itself, the car, essentially. Does that make yeah. any sense? Well, I mean, it's a nice thing to you know, make philosophical debate about, but uh, today the law doesn't, you know, machines can't own themselves. All all cars are owned by somebody or some company, and uh, and there's no sign of that changing anytime soon. So um, what you could think about as a very early version would be a company which has a fleet of cars that it owns, and the company is a rail gear company. It's got human beings who are its stockholders. That's kind of the rule. Um, and those cars go out, and they pretty much manage everything, or um, you know, software pretty much manages everything, booking customers and billing them and everything else, so that the owners, the stockholders, don't have to do anything really, and they don't need to have a lot of staff. Um, you could imagine that, but it would still be a company that owned the cars. Now, maybe in the far future, if you want to imagine um, robots having rights or um, companies existing outside of having being owned by human stockholders, you could you know, write a science fiction story about that. Okay. All right, gotcha. Um, now, it, it, I think it is true. It is true, though, that um, you know, companies like Lyft and Uber and uh, they want to make their systems as efficient as possible so that you don't need um, very many people to do stuff in order to make things happen. They they want you to be able to pick up your phone and get a ride and have it all happen without any human being having to do a thing. Right, yeah. And it sounds like that's coming. Of you. Yeah, you, you, you have to go to your phone and say, I want a ride. <laughs> Actually, right, um, right, exactly. if, you, if you want the pure version... Um, you could certainly be set up so that when it's um, uh, five o'clock at the office and you start walking out of the office and you've got a phone in your pocket and the phone notices that you're getting ready to leave the office. And so it sends out a signal and a car is waiting down at the uh, curb when you step out of the front door of the office and it's got your name on it and you just get in it and you don't have to say a thing because it knows, hey, it's five o'clock, you probably want to go home. 
If you so, you know, literally, you could do nothing but walk down the stairs and get into a car. Um, the world could be that automated if you wanted. Right. Okay. Yeah. All right. We've covered a lot of interesting things. Any um, any other things I haven't touched on in the autonomous vehicle world that you think are particularly interesting, or do you think that's good? Yeah. Oh, yeah. No. Well, we could we could do uh, many many hours. The um, one of the hot issues right now is what role governments are taking because that's been changing. And for quite a while, governments were being quite surprising as to how they reacted. They were mostly being very encouraging, saying, me, 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 please do it here in my state, my country, um, even trying to fund development and write laws to make sure the cars were legal. And uh, that all flipped in the last few months when the U.S. federal government, the state of California, and some others started writing up uh, regulations, frankly, too soon. Obviously, people agree, agree and disagree about what is too soon. Um, but truth is, the cars aren't even on the road yet. Nobody has deployed any business yet. They're only out there in testing form right now. There are startups that haven't yet been formed who are going to be contributing to how these cars work in the future. So my view is we certainly don't know enough to be writing the regs right now, but there are other people who are trying to write them. And there's going to be a lot of debates and battle over whether it's too early, whether it's too late, what the right regulations are. Um, this will mean that it could be that some countries regulate too much, and so the technology develops in other countries. Um, maybe some country is really smart and attracts the development to their place. So that's going back and forth around the world. Mm. Okay. And Any uh, other hot issues? I mean, there's, yeah, there's a lot of technological issues. One of the technological issues relates to this revolution that's been going on in, in AI in machine learning right now called neural networks sometimes called deep learning, the ability to have um, tools that can learn and uh, surpass human judgment at certain types of pattern matching tasks. So there are people trying to build cars using nothing but that or using it as a major source of the input in driving a car. And these tools are really powerful and they're, they're shattering all sorts of barriers right now, which is exciting people. Um, and the problem is, of course, we have no idea how they work. They're sort of black boxes to us. I mean, I can't say we have no idea, but compared to the old way that we programmed, they're uh, really opaque. And so now you have a system that drives your car, and you can't tell anyone exactly how it does it. You just see that when you test it, that it does it. And some people are wondering if the government laws will allow that. Some people are wondering if they should allow it. Um, that's causing this debate about what the primary technologies will be in these cars, what the primary sensors will be. Most of the successful cars so far use sensors like radar and LIDAR, which is a light radar that gives you a 3D picture of the world. And it gives them right. superhuman vision. They can see things that people can't see. And that superhuman sensing is, allows, is good because it allows them to surpass human beings at, at their perception of the world in some ways, but not in all. And other people want to say, let's take cameras, which is the way that people work. We, we have eyes that are kind of like cameras. Let's take cameras and let's use these new revolutions in machine learning to try and understand the world that we see and drive that way, which is the way that people drive. And that's cheaper than the superhuman sensors and has some capabilities they don't, but it also lacks capabilities they have. So there's a, a big debate going on about which of those approaches is going to win. Yeah, that's that's really fascinating. Huh. I guess um, yeah, so with deep learning or neural networks, there's a form of intelligence that's 
like you're saying, is alien to us, that this machine intelligence and no one knows how it works or why it works. It's not so alien in that it's inspired by the, you know, the ordinary neural networks of uh, of animal brains and human brains, and it's not identical to those. Uh, And it's it's actually, it's kind of the reverse of alien in some ways, because what it does is it does exactly what people do, which is learn by exploring the world or learning by example, learning by being shown what's right and, and then using that learning to go forward. So that's, that's very much in some way what people do. Uh, and however, we don't understand how people do it. And so therefore, we also have less understanding of how the machines are doing it. Mm. Okay. Well, like you said, there's many more things to talk about. It's been a really insightful conversation, and I appreciate it very much. Um, All right. Well, for listeners, um, how can listeners find out more about you and about um, you know your thought process and the projects you're working on? What are some resources yeah. for them? So I write fairly regularly on uh, my blog and website. So the website is robocars.com, robocar with an S. And, uh, and then there's a blog that's linked from that. And people can uh, read what I'm thinking there. Um, and I also tweet the things that I post there as well, if, you, if that's your preferred approach, uh, at Brad Tem. And uh, then there are now a growing number of sites where people are discussing this. You find them on LinkedIn and Reddit and various other places. Okay, well, very good. Well, I appreciate your time. And, um, you know, thanks for coming very, very much. Okay, very good. And uh, good luck with all your shows. You've been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.